Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 you know i'll never forget the conversation i had with two mormon missionaries on my doorstep and they had knocked on the door one night i answered it and you know years passed i used to blow them off used to blow off jehovah's witnesses and now i find just an urgent need to speak to them because I understand their doctrine. And the more they begin to talk about God, I ask them the question, how is a person saved? And as they begin to explain how a person is saved, I realized that they weren't saved. And so I told them to read to me Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, which they did. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is the gift of God. It's not of yourselves, not of works, so that no man can boast. And I asked them to explain that to me. And really, they twisted the Scripture, and they, their answer was basically this. We do our best here in this world, and then what Christ did on the cross makes up for the difference. And that is wrong. That can send a person to hell for all eternity. Our righteousness before God does not come from our own works. It comes from the work of God on the cross. That was God in the flesh dying on the cross. Christ was dying for our sins. That is, He paid the debt of our sins. It's His work and our faith and trust in that work. You know, the Reformation was built on five solas. Sola means alone, alone in Latin. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone, meaning that the Scriptures are our ultimate authority. Sola Fide, faith alone. Sola Gratia, grace alone. Sola Christo, Christ alone. Soli Deo Gloria, for the glory of God alone. And now we're in this section that uh, is the inspiration for all of that as we see God declaring to us that most crucial doctrine of justification by faith. How is a person made right before God? How is a person made right before a holy God? When we look at ourselves and we see our sins, how are we made right before God? A perfect, holy, righteous God is who everyone will stand before one day. And so as Paul began Romans in chapter 1, verse 18, he begins this section of condemnation. And as he begins that section, we find out that the pagans condemned, the one who denies God. We find out the one who's steeped in his religion is also depraved and also lost without God, without faith in Christ and his work on the cross. We also find out that the moralist, the one who would say, you know, I'm a pretty good person, 
and I deserve to get into heaven, and we find that not to be true. But then there's a remarkable turn that takes place in the book of Romans, and that happens towards the end of the chapter in verses 21 to 22. It says, but now, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, through the law, and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction this would have shocked the jews because they were so set on abiding by the law and they felt that their righteous standing before god was based on their own works and now paul is going to turn from teaching that marvelous doctrine of justification by faith to now illustrating it with who better than father abraham the jews always leaned on abraham he's the father of judaism he's the father of christianity as well And so as Paul brings this idea of justification by faith, justification by faith, he's going to use the greatest illustration of that. How was a man like Abraham, the father of our faith, made righteous before a holy God? And that's what he's going to do. He's going to illustrate that. And so the first thing I want you to see as we get into this, we're going to see in verses 13 to 16 that the promises of God are obtained only through faith, only through faith. Then he's going to get into the next section where we're going to see God's promises to Abraham. They're only obtained by faith. Then he's going to get into our own Christian faith and driving the point home. So first of all, God's promises are obtained only by faith in God. God's promise to Abraham is defined right here in chapter 13. He begins by for the promise to Abraham. And by the way, in this section alone, you're going to see the word promise used four times. Four times in this passage, the word promise is used, meaning that it is signaling us to a major theme here in the Scriptures. So, promise of God, promise of God. God's promise to Abraham here is defined in verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir to the world heir to the world. So I want you to see that for just a moment. When we think of the offspring of Abraham, who's he speaking of? The Jews would say the offspring of Abraham, according to the Old Testament, only apply to the Jewish people, the ones that are living by the law of God. But that's not what the Scriptures say. The Scriptures say something very different. The Scriptures tell us that we are also the heirs. Now, a promise is only as good when you look at that word promise. When you see that in the Scriptures, you have to understand that there's other people in the Scriptures that broke promises, but God has never broken a promise. His character doesn't warrant it. Whenever we look at a promise, we have to look at the one making the promise. In the past, I've had people make promises to me before, and I thought, ah, you know what, I don't think they're going to fulfill it. They've broken promises in the past. In fact, people sometimes set up appointments with me at the office, and they've set up appointments with me in the past, and they've never shown up for those appointments. So I don't assume they're going to show up for this one. But that's humanity. I've broken promises. In my own life, I've promised people things, and I've broken them. Whether they were intentional or unintentional, it was still a broken promise. But God can never, ever, ever break a promise. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, it says, So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. It is impossible for God to lie. When God makes a promise, you have to understand 
you have to grip it with faith and believe that God has both the power, the ability, and the character to fulfill the promise that he makes. And that's what gives me the assurance today. When I open up the scriptures, I stand on the promises of God. When people call me for prayer, I look to the scriptures and what does God promise in the scriptures? And it is up to us individually to grab those promises of God and to say God would never break a promise and he never will. Now, the promise, according to the scriptures, is to his offspring, to his offspring. And that becomes a point of contention. Who are the offspring of Abraham? Well, we know ethnic Israel is the offspring of Abraham, that he did become the father of the nation Israel, that they were definitely his offspring. We know that you can trace the genealogy of Jesus even back to father Abraham. But here in this passage of scriptures in Romans chapter 4, it is speaking of the spiritual offspring, not just the ethnic offspring. When God made the promise to the nation of Israel, he will fulfill every promise he's made to them. But the promise here are those who come to faith in Jesus Christ. We see in Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, it says, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And that's what this passage of Scripture applies to us today, where the Jewish person would say, No, 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 you're not a Jew. You're not from the descendancy of Israel. You're not one of us is what they would say. And yet we see in the New Testament that it wasn't about that. That God had used the nation of Israel to bring forth his promises to bless the entire world. And God said that at the very beginning with Abraham. That the entire world would be blessed through them. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, it says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And that's what he says here and his offspring, that he would be heir to the world. So all the descendants of Abraham, spiritual descendants of Abraham, would be heir to the earth. And we see that happening right now where Jesus says the meek will inherit the earth, that as we come to the Lord, it takes a meekness. There can't be one smidgen of pride in us that comes to him. And we see right now that the earth is being populated. I know that at the beginning, God had blessed Adam and Eve and had blessed them with dominion over the earth, and that was lost. It was surrendered to Satan through disobedience to God. But we see a reversal happening through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection. Now we've got God's people, Abraham's spiritual descendants, populating the world, but it won't culminate till the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which the Scriptures promise that He is coming back again and He will rule and reign. All the way up through verse 17, first part of verse 17, God's promise to Abraham we see is fulfilled, but not through the law. It is not fulfilled through the law. The Jews would think that they have a right standing before God because they have the Mosaic Covenant they have the law of God, and they would say that because we are following the rules, because we are worshiping God the way He delineated in the Scriptures, that we are okay. But it doesn't say that, does it? As we continue, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Paul immediately is making it clear that the righteousness God talks about does not come through the law. 
fact, it says, for it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs. Faith is null and the promise is void. In other words, if it's those who stick to the law, then the promise is no good anymore. Faith is no good anymore. And Paul says it isn't about that. And the reason is because the law could never, ever bring us into a right standing with God. It can show us how unrighteous we are. Now, it's not to cast the law out the window. We're going to see that in a moment. But it is, in fact, no way a gateway into the presence of God. And that's the big issue here. How does a person become right with God? Ask yourself this. If I stood before him today, would I be under judgment or would I stand righteous before him? And so he goes on to say, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void, for the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. That's an interesting word that Paul uses there. It's not speaking of sin in general. The word transgression actually means to willfully transgress a given law. In other words, I can trespass on somebody's property and still be against the law and not know it. I can walk right onto their property, and of course we know that trespassing is against the law, but I didn't see any sign. I didn't do it intentionally, but it's still against the law. But then if I see a no trespassing sign, it says no trespassing, and I see that, and I willfully cross that line, then that absolutely means I willfully broke that law. And that's what Paul is speaking of here. You Jews have the law, and you say you're adherents to the law, but you have transgressed. Because none of you are sinless. You've had the law. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You shall not covet thy neighbor's goods, wife, donkeys, oxen, possessions. There's all kinds of things that we fall short of that we know. And the law highlights that. It doesn't make us look how good we are. It actually highlights how bad we are. They had it reverse. And so Paul says there's no way. It only brings wrath. Why? Because there's a willful transgression. Now, that doesn't mean the ones without the law of God, that they are not guilty because they don't have the law of God. No, that's referring to sin in general. We can intentionally offend God's holiness, and we can unintentionally offend God's holiness. But with the Jews who had the Word of God, There was a transgression. They knew God's word, but they still violated it. And that's why Paul said, you that teach not to do this, not to do that, do you not do the same thing? And we can fall into that dimension of hypocrisy. And so we see that God's promises come by faith. It's the only way. Because if you live by the law, you're going to die by the law and it will only impose God's wrath on you, which he's spoken of already. Now, what I want you to see here, why the promises of God are fulfilled by faith. And one is that faith preserves God's grace. I want you to see this with me. Look at verse 16. It says, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. So number one, the reason it's set up this way is that God's grace is preserved. The grace is God's side. The faith is our part. 
And so God's grace is extended as a gift. It's a gift. That's what the word grace means. It is extended to you. And so by faith preserves the grace of God. You have nothing to boast in with God. If his grace never showed up to you, you would have nothing to believe in. Grace is God's side. Faith is our side. God extends his grace, and we place our faith in that what he extends in the gift that comes through Jesus Christ. Now, the second thing it does, faith opens up the door for everybody so crucial to understand that the Jews needed to hear this because even though they had possession of the oracles of God and even though they had the possession of God's word, Paul straightens out the mess that no, you can't be made right before a holy God just because you possess the law. But it isn't all about you either. It was all about the entire world. The promise to Abraham at the very beginning was to the entire world in Genesis chapter 12. And what faith does, it opens up the door for all. It opens up the door for salvation to all. Look what it goes on to say. It says, and to be guaranteed to all his offspring. All his offspring. The offspring of Abraham is everyone who has placed their faith in Christ, like I said. So it opens up the door to everybody. And that's why you see the promise of God in Genesis chapter 17, verse 4. It says, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations, not just one nation, but Abraham is to be the father of a multitude of nations. Genesis 22, verse 17, he reiterates this promise. I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Then we go on to Romans chapter 10, verses 12 to 13. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whether Jew or Greek, you will be saved. And I think the temple curtain illustrates this at the death of Christ. I mean, do you ever find it strange that when Jesus was dying on the cross, they recorded the portion of the event that took place where the temple curtain was ripped from top to bottom. I always found that intriguing, but the temple curtain separated the most holy place from the holy place. So he had a holy place where all the priests can go into, but the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant stood that possessed the law of God, where that stood was in the Holy of Holies. Nobody could enter into that except one person that was once a year, the high priest. And so Jesus is dying on the cross. And as he's dying on the cross, Matthew records that the curtain was ripped from top to bottom, meaning that it was a work of God, not from the bottom up, but it was a work of God. And what he was saying, because that's where they believed the presence of God dwelt, was in the Holy of Holies. He was saying God's presence is now open to everybody. That's why that happened. That's why that event happened. When Christ died on the cross, the temple curtain was ripped. It was open to everybody. Now you can have access to the presence of God. Do you realize that today? It's not the religion you belong to. In fact, we now know what the veil is. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 20, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. His death was the very mechanism that opened up 
the curtain. Now to get into the holy place, you have to go through Christ. That's why he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Except through me. He is the veil. You want to get into the holy place? You want to get in the presence of God? You have to go through Jesus. So right away, what Paul is doing, he's setting a foundation here that the promises of God can only be obtained in faith, not by adhering to the things of the law. That's going to come next, but not through adhering to those, but only through faith. And so the second thing that Paul moves into in this section is he's going to prove that God's promises to Abraham are going to be fulfilled as he is the father of all nations, all right, and how they're going to be filled. Now look at verse 17 with me. It says, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Okay, so he's been made the father of many nations. We see that. We see that happening every tongue and tribe. That's why Bibles are always being translated in different languages because he's the father of many nations. In Revelation, we're going to see every tongue, every tribe up there that's saved. But here's how that happened. Abraham responded to the promise of God in faith. Not by works, his righteousness, his right standing before God, his usability before God never came by trying to be good enough so that God would shower him with favor. No, this was an act of grace. God calls Abraham. And so as he's the father of many nations, I want you to see that he responds to faith and he responds more specifically to the object of faith. And there's only one object of faith, and that is the God of the impossible. That is the God of the impossible. The object of Abraham's faith was not in itself. It wasn't in anybody else. The object of Abraham's faith was only in the God of the impossible. And now what's going to happen, Paul's going to highlight how God does the impossible through three things. He's going to bring up resurrection. He's going to bring up creation. He's going to bring up procreation. In all three of those areas, he proves that God is the God that can do the impossible. And so we see, first of all, the resurrection. God brings life out of death. Look at verse 17 again. It says, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead, God resurrects the dead. And we see it in the Scriptures as we read the Old Testament all the way into the New Testament. You can see the widow of Zarephath's son was raised from the dead in 1 Kings chapter 17. We see the Shunammite woman's son was raised from the dead in 2 Kings 4. We see the widow of Nain's son. Jesus raised him in, in Luke chapter 7. Jairus' daughter, Jesus raised her. Lazarus of Bethany. Of course, Lazarus is famous for being resurrected. And we see that in John chapter 11. Over and over again in the Scriptures, we see how God raises the dead. Now, I know there's a lot of people that proclaim to raise the dead. There's even something called a dead-raising team from one church, and they proclaim to go to mortuaries and raise the dead. And I'm not saying God doesn't do that. You need to hear me. I'm a believer. Because if the object of your faith is in the God of the impossible, He can do the impossible. There's testimonies of people that have been raised from the dead. But I think that the faith can be misguided at many times. What is the purpose? What is the will of God? What is he doing at that moment? So he's the God of the impossible because of resurrection. He raises the dead. He brings life out of death, but also creation. He brings something out of nothing. Look at verse 17 again. He gives life to the dead. 
and calls into existence the things that do not exist. That's how creation started. The Big Bang Theory doesn't contradict creation. You know, they're just saying a big noise took place at creation. They're saying that something came out of nothing. Really, when you peel away everything and you look at it, and it's absolutely right, because the very first phrase in the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the Hebrew word for create there, whenever it's used of God, it's the Hebrew word bar. It means He creates out of nothing. He creates out of nothing. He is able to call those things that don't exist into existence. He's the God of the impossible. That's why Genesis 1 is so important. And that's why God makes it clear right off the beginning, my word has the power. What I declare from the beginning to the end, that's what's going to happen. No one can stop it. I declare it. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977